0: You're listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by the great Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. What's up, Dan? Oh, the usual. Just seeing
1: July out the door and getting ready for August. How about you?
0: Uh, The same. My voice is still kind of coming back from the All-Star game. Went to another baseball game this week, so it's fun. All fun and games.
1: That was a long time ago. I feel like your voice probably should be able to bounce back from an All-Star game 10 days ago.
0: Yeah, but then I went to another Dodger game, and there was a lot of things with Kershaw. It was the bobblehead game, and yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I digress. It, it'll
1: surprise absolutely no one to know that Leslie is an enthusiastic rooter, and therefore no one is actually surprised that it knocks your voice out of commission for 10 days to...
0: Obviously, I'm I'm biased, but I'm fun at baseball games, so... Of course,
1: Leslie, you're fun everywhere. Aw, shucks.
0: <laughs> well, we got a lot to get into this week. We have a fantastic interview with the creator and showrunner of Peacock's new... Comedy, drama, I don't know how to describe it other than really fun. The resort, that's coming up. We're going to have another special guest, a friend of the five, joining to talk wrestling. That's right, wrestling on TV's Top 5. But before we get into all of that, we're going to start where we usually do, Dan, with headlines.
2: Number one,
0: Leading off, Kristen Ritter will star in AMC's Orphan Black sequel series, marking her return to the network after Breaking Bad.
1: Some of you probably expected this to be a full segment all on its own, but ha, we zigged where you expected us to zag, and we just stuck it in the middle of headlines. Uh, Jeopardy has made it official, tapping and Bialik and Ken Jennings as permanent co-hosts on the syndicated series. Jennings will begin the season in September, with Bialik taking over in January after she's wrapped Fox's Call Me Cat. They both will host various Jeopardy specials, so... Yay. And Leslie, do you want to tell the kids where they should look for our interview with Maya Bialik, who talked about her early experiences as Jeopardy host?
0: Yes, Dan, that would be episode 154 from February 4th of this year, where we talked to her for about 45 minutes and she was pretty open. She
1: she was. And then you can also go back to like the 17 episodes before that, where we kept talking about Jeopardy over and over and
0: over again.
1: But ha ha ha. Let's see.
0: Yeah. We talked about it in episode 146 from December 2021. We talked about it in episode 134 from August 27th, 2021. And again, wow, August 13th in episode 132. Then episode 130 when we talked about LeVar (laughs) Burton. Um, That's, I think, all of the times that we've talked about Jeopardy, obviously including this, but I'm kind of happy to put Jeopardy behind us, Dan.
1: You figure this is it? You figure the story is done? You think it's just this simple?
0: Well, they've solved the host problem. They've solved the scheduling problem with Mayim. They have a new showrunner. Yeah, I mean, if they can avoid stepping in shit again for a couple of more years, that'd be great.
1: I I feel like that if is doing a lot of work in that sentence.
0: (laughs) You're not wrong, Dan. You're not wrong. In renewals, Paramount Plus has picked up iCarly for a third season. FX has handed out a fifth season pickup for Sons of Anarchy offshoot. And Apple for All Mankind has flown to a fourth season at the streamer. And those last two announcements were made at Comic-Con, which, spoiler alert, that's our second topic this week.
1: On the series pickup front, HBO has given official order to The Palace, starring Kate Winslet. Peacock has picked up the gladiatorial drama, Those About to Die, with Roland Emmerich on board to direct. And on broadcast, NBC has added missing persons drama found.
0: On the overall deals front, Brian Cranston is reuniting with f- former Sony chief Steve Mosko for a TV pack with the exec's Village Roadshow. For those not in the know, Steve Mosko was again the head of Sony, who helped greenlight and developed Breaking Bad. And speaking of executives, Jenny Groom is being replaced as the head of alternative at NBC Universal with former HBO Max head of reality Corey Henson set to take over the portfolio that includes NBC, Peacock, USA, Sci-Fi, and a bunch of other cable networks. So, obviously, we know at HBO Max they're in the process of. Transitioning that service to include a lot more content from Discovery. There's a lot going on over there as part of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. So Corey Henson was among those laid off at the streamer because, well, they have a bunch of unscripted executives because they're Discovery and that's what they do. So it makes sense for Corey Henson to go over to NBC Universal, which sources say wasn't super thrilled with the slate under well-liked executive Jenny Groom. So lots of changes over at NBC Universal in the past couple of years, starting with Paul Telegde, who of course used to run alternative for the broadcast network. He was pushed out following a THR investigation. His replacement was Meredith R. She too was pushed out as well. And then Groom took over as part of the reorg to that included the entire portfolio. So. Nothing against her, but I think NBC is looking in a different direction for some of its alternative stuff.
1: And finally, for headlines, and this one feels like a combination of several topics that we've been talking about regularly. Uh, since last week, we did a full segment on the end of Jesus and Marrow at Showtime. And we've, of course, done one segment after another on the shift away from... Uh, scripted at the T-Nets. Is that what we decided? It made us feel really, really gross to call them. Yes. The, yes, T-nets. the T-Nets.
0: TNT, TBS, and True TV.
1: I'll say it again. It sounds like a hairnet that improved, that, uh, that increases your testosterone levels, which I don't think anyone wants it to. Anyway, given what's happening at the T-Nets, it is not surprising and we did hint that this was probably coming but samantha b's full frontal is unfortunately the latest casualty the emmy winning late night show ended in june and that will now turn out to have been its seventh and final season leslie when did we have uh samantha b on the podcast
0: That's a great question, Dan. We had her on episode 102 from January 2021. Um, It's a real bummer to see this happen because obviously she was such an important part of the late night slate and the whole, the larger landscape meant a lot to that network. But we can see, you know, where everything is going to wind up from, anything from the T-nets was in the, uh, winding up on HBO Max. Obviously they already have John Oliver. Sam B could not have been, a cheap talent to have, especially with an aging show that, like I said, Full Frontal was in its seventh season. Shows do get more expensive as they go on. But yeah, this is not a surprise given the shift away from originals and pretty much anything that costs any kind of money. Uh, the interesting thing that I found out in doing some reporting this week was... A lot of the, the originals from the so-called T-Nets were pulled from HBO Max. So n- you can't watch Animal Kingdom. The first couple of seasons of Snowpiercer were are, were removed from the service. Season one of Chad, which was uh, saw season two, scrapped days before its premiere. That was also pulled, the last OG, no longer on HBO Max. And of course, these are all things that are part of some big changes that are going to be coming to both HBO Max and Discovery Plus as the newly merged company looks to, well, merge both of those platforms.
1: And me, I find it slightly disconcerting that we haven't had that many people from the late night space on our podcast as guests. And those who we have had have been great guests and they've had their shows brought to an end, both of the two groups, because we had Jesus and Marrow and we had Samantha B in the past 10 days. So I, I don't want to say that that's a reason why you shouldn't have your late night host on our podcast. But I don't know. <laughs>
0: But, you know, at, at the same time, we had Ben Winston, who was the executive producer of James Corden's show on when he uh, exec produced The Friends Reunion. And now James Corden is having so, show is ending, Oh my god! So I don't okay, know. Maybe so, maybe we are the Black Widow podcast, Dan. I don't uh, know.
1: In general, I don't feel like we are at all. On the other but hand, look how many look-
0: shows have gotten renewed with from show, <laughs> after their showrunners have been on our show.
1: God, I feel like we. I feel like we desperately need to bring like Jimmy Fallon on the podcast. Not because I have any desire at all to talk to Jimmy Fallon, but because I don't think we have the ability to get Jimmy Fallon canceled. So. Yeah, but
0: Dan Jimmy Fallon's a big Red Sox fan, so you guys would have a lot to talk about, and Maybe. I would just want to talk to him about the what was that movie that that he did Fever with Peter um, and How he and Drew Barrymore yeah. were
1: down on the field in the middle of the Red Sox World Series <laughs> Super- celebration? The curse, yeah, and, and- I, I've
0: actually <laughs> talked to him about that before in passing when he, he he did something in office years, obviously in the before times, and I didn't want to talk to him at all about late night. I was like, tell me everything about that movie and you know be a baseball fan.
1: And absolutely nobody listening to the podcast is surprised about that. Nope.
0: Yep. Very on brand. Yep. Up next, as I teased in headlines.
3: Number two.
0: Let's go back and look at some of the highlights that came out of San Diego Comic-Con, in addition to the renewals for Mayans and for all mankind. Leading off, let's look at AMC. The cable network has ditched its plan for three Andrew Lincoln led feature films of The Walking Dead and instead will reunite the actor with Denai Guerrero for a six episode limited series that will wrap the storylines between Rick and Michonne. At least that's what I imagine it's going to do because Denai is a huge star. She's not going to keep doing these. She obviously left the flagship for a reason. And, well, Annie Lincoln, who knows what he's going to do. You know, obviously this is a big time of transition during that, fr- uh, with this franchise. You know, the AMC, in addition to re- releasing the trailer for the final run of episodes, announced that the flagship's final Final episodes would kick off in October. Then you've got Lauren Cohen and Jeffrey Dean Morgan ma- currently in production doing Isle of the Dead. Norman Reedus is doing that, his spinoff that will now not feature Melissa McBride. You've got the episodic anthology Tales of the Walking Dead. And then don't forget, Fear the Walking Dead is still a thing. So lots going on in that franchise. But Dan, you know, these feature films have been in the works for so long and I remember being at Comic-Con, physically at Comic-Con in the before times when they announced that Universal Pictures was going to be the studio and the distributor of the movies. And I'm just like, wow, they're really going big. They're finally going to make these big Walking Dead movies. And, well, not anymore.
1: I, I think that realistically, everybody had to know that some variation on this was coming. I mean, for any number of reasons. And I think. I mean,
0: they missed the boat. They missed the time that they had to, where Walking Dead would have been a box office draw. That ship has long sailed.
1: And I think that more than anything is is why everyone su- uh, suspected this. Is you know, we had Scott Gimple on the podcast a million years ago when this was still a thing that people were talking about. the Yeah, Ideal that would movie.
0: be episode 42 from October 2019.
1: Like I said, a million years ago. And already at that time, it had been a little while since the movies were announced. And when we followed up with him, it had already been enough time where people were sort of like, well, is that actually going to happen? But also... Kind of the shift of the overall theatrical marketplace in COVID times had to have played a role. The shift in how much anyone did or didn't care about Walking Dead. I, I, there just is a large difference between saying, come watch six episodes on AMC as you've become accustomed to watching this franchise. And saying, come out to a movie theater and pay $10, $15. If you have a family of people going, pay a $100 of to watch this.
0: So To watch things that you basically fell in love with for free. Yeah, zero, on zero cable.
1: There was there was no there was already at the very beginning when they announced it was going to be a film. It was already yeah, a little and that bit head scratching.
0: November 2018, and they announced the the Universal deal at Comic-Con the following summer.
1: Yeah. So not not shocking. And you know, look, this this is actually something. In this context that I might actually be curious about, there was there was no chance I was going to go to a movie theater and watch a Rick movie that I had to pay for. There is a strong chance that if you put a six episode limited series with Andrew Lincoln and Danai Guerrera on my TV screen and probably send me screeners so that I can write a review, there's a strong chance that I would watch that. So I don't know if their entire goal, but The Walking Dead franchise is to attempt to get me to watch. That would be a very, very bad business decision on their part. (laughs) But on the other hand, yeah, this this makes much more sense. And feels much more productive for AMC and the entire Walking Dead family.
0: I yeah, and, uh, and it makes a lot of sense, too. Denai Guerrero is a huge movie star at this point. Obviously, Walking Dead helped her, was her big stepping stone towards that. And at the same time, now you've got a huge movie star on a basic cable network that is among a dying breed. We just talked about the T-Nets, which I hate just drink every time you say you, you hear but me but the say thing TNets. is you keep say, you keep saying it i think it's it, easier I, than saying tnt tbs and t and, and true tv because what the hell is true tv i don't even know what's on true tv Well, and days.
1: it's all it is unfair that we keep including true tv in that group all anyway because i feel like the thing that they do is is different from the thing that tbs right, and tnt yes. do but and i yet, mean
0: look the things that all of them are going to do are going to be repeats syndicated repeats and low cost unscripted
1: if oh that. i don't think we have a clue with <laughs> what they're going to do and what their value is going to be which is a little sad, because as we've said a thousand times, they were both homes to a lot of things that were high profile and stuff. Continuing with headlines, Paramount Plus is going back to the world of MTV's Teen Wolf. In addition to the upcoming streaming movie, the platform has tapped Sarah Michelle Geller. Yes, she knows a few things about supernatural stuff to star in the follow-up series wolf pack which will come from teen wolf creator jefferson davis or jeff davis as he calls because otherwise people would confuse him with the president of the confederacy
0: yeah i mean no surprise there but that is a great casting that was announced at comic-con again you know she is beloved there and i think her legion of fans coming back and doing genre especially on a streaming show you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know how much it's going to work for Paramount Plus because, well, who knows how big Wolfpack will do for them, considering most of those fans have probably aged out of that demo by now. But either way, Sarah Michelle Geller doing genre TV. Yeah, smart, smart casting.
1: As opposed to Sarah Michelle Geller playing two women who share the same face because we're not getting a reboot of Ringer.
0: <laughs> that's a that's a callback, Dan. I remember like when to call we were at the. Were you at the press table for that way back when at Comic Con? No, I don't think so. I think that I would remember be. there was a, there were a lot of us lined up at Comic Con waiting to get into the press room for Ringer because it was Sarah Michelle Gellar's return to TV, and and a lot of people, myself included, were very excited about the opportunity for some FaceTime with with SMG as and or Buffy. So, and again, you know, Buffy is the show that got me into writing about television. So. Mm-hmm. I think I was at
1: the the panel for Ringer. I don't think I went back to the press room. Oh, and also I should note, I assume that Jeff Jeff Davis's real first name is Jeffrey. I I feel like making that clear. Probably no one in whatever (laughs) year he was born names their kid Jefferson Davis, but you know. Anyway, and we haven't <laughs> yeah. even reached the biggest part of the Comic-Con news, which came out of Marvel. Break it down, Leslie. Yeah, So Marvel. much news.
0: So much news. Kevin Feige unveiled plans for phases five and six with several TV series part of that grand plan. We're not going to run through all the movies because, well, you can get that on other podcasts and elsewhere on THR.com, like the Heat Vision newsletter, which if you don't read and, and sign up for, it comes out every Friday. It's a fantastic job done by our, by our colleagues Aaron Couch and Boris Kitt. But in terms of the TV content, we know that Loki season two is due in summer 2023, along with the Hawkeye spinoff Echo. We know Ironheart will be streaming in the fall of 2023 on Disney Plus. And the Catherine Han WandaVision spinoff has a new title. It's called Agatha Coven of Chaos. That's due on Disney Plus in the winter of 2023. Um, Our colleague Boris Kitt previously had a great exclusive about Charlie Cox returning to reprise his role as Daredevil in an upcoming Marvel show. And now we know they announced officially that Daredevil itself is coming back with a new series, Daredevil Born Again, with Charlie Cox reprising his character alongside Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin with that series expected in spring 2024. And then wrapping it all up, The animated great comedy What If has been renewed for a third season. That's an early pickup ahead of season two's debut. So all of these these shows are going to factor highly into phases five and six. As we all know now, Kevin Feige really means it when he says it's all connected. Unlike our old friend, Jeff Loeb.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of finding it a little bit funny that of all of those Netflix shows, basically the only one that appears to be at this exact moment surviving in other forms and being Born Again, as it were, is uh, is Daredevil, and you know so obviously Charlie Cox already made the very very brief, largely pointless cameo in in the Doctor Strange movie, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, no one is talking about about bringing back Finn Jones as Iron Fist. Why 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 is no one trying to find a way to work that actor and that character into subsequent series? Uh, Mike coulter obviously too busy, and we are and, if you paid attention in that last segment, we already told you what Jessica Jones herself, Kristen Ritter is up to. So, so those are kind of obvious. And John Bernthal is a very, 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 very busy man at this point. So
0: yeah, he's no- got American gigolo coming up at showtime, obviously had that great role in the bear, which spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, you should see it because it's excellent, but yeah, lots, it, lots going on for the punisher.
1: It, but obviously those Netflix shows for the most part, iron fist aside, did a, Really, really great job of casting, didn't they? I, I mean, like full credit to, to those shows for how well they did with casting. And I would say for the most part, those shows did a really good job. Again, Iron Fist accepted with their first seasons. So I think a lot of these shows are lo- a lot of the Marvel people are like, well, we can kind of get people to forget, A, that the Defenders ever happened, etc. And we can just kind of go back and be like, OK, we had a good foundation here. Let's see what we can do if we actually give Daredevil another chance with different auspices and whatnot. I guess, yeah, Daredevil was a was a good show. I'm not a 100% sure I ever finished it, which is to say I'm 95% sure I didn't finish it. But it wasn't anything personal. It just probably related to uh, there being a lot of TV. Yeah, Drink. seems seems right. <laughs>
0: Drink. Take <Pick> a shot. <laughs> yeah, but Marvel obviously stole the show again, in Comic-Con's return to in-person activities again following two years of virtual stuff. So congratulations to Marvel for winning Comic-Con, and congratulations to The Walking Dead for missing the boat. Although, I mean, look, it must have been really cool to see Andrew Lincoln come out and surprise fans, so after not being part of those panels for a very, very long time. So anyway, I I I feel like
1: Comic-Con, at least from, from the distance and the comfort of my couch, seemed as if people were largely happy with the way things went. And I've only seen a couple of our colleagues slash friends who have tested positive for COVID. Yeah, George R. R.
0: Martin missed House <laughs> of the Dragon premiere last night because he has COVID. Obviously, he just came back from Comic-Con. The Witcher shut down production because the rumor is that Henry Cavill got COVID from Comic-Con. <laughs> so, And again, his reps are not commenting and Netflix isn't commenting on that. So this is just speculation about Henry. But yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that comic Con's a super spreader event.
1: <sighs> Once
0: again, as we say every week, take care of yourself, people. Number three, up third this week, WWE is facing massive changes after CEO Vince McMahon has retired amid allegations that he had sexual relationships with employees at the company and subsequently paid the women millions of dollars as part of their severance packages. WWE's board is investigating the allegations in his place, his daughter Stephanie McMahon and WWE president Nick Khan, the brother of young rock showrunner Nanochka Khan are taking over. Joining us to break down what this all means for WWE and its TV partners is friend of the five, Chris Hanner, the entertainment editor at GameSpot and the co-host of the weekly Wrestle Buddies podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: I've been waiting
0: for so long to be a friend of the five.
1: Oh, you are always a friend of the five, Chris, and I feel like you've written us multiple uh, questions that we've answered in mailbag segments in the past. So it's us- not usually like usually about haven't- Gotham sure but whatever you 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 have your obsessions so it's we're, true we, we wouldn't you know it's not like we had you on the podcast today to talk about i don't know evolutions in the t-nets or something oh god, oh, god.
0: let's let's just do a drinking game every time we say oh, t-nets or dan the- complains that there's too much tv or i stress that i'm not a critic
3: now dan by t-nets do you mean the home of all late wrestling both tbs and tnt
1: Oh, damn it. See, we should have had you on to talk about <laughs> things happening at the T-Nets. Um, no, that we look, we, we've wanted to have you on and we wanted to mm-hmm. have, give you the chance to talk about wrestling because we know it is one of your favorite things. And we wanted to Absolutely. make sure we plugged wrestle buddies and all of that because we wanted to make sure you were in your wheelhouse. So I guess the first and the biggest question is, how big a deal is what happened last week?
3: Uh, I, d- it, it's a, it depends on who you ask as someone who has been watching the business sort of from the outside, uh, f- practically my entire adult life. This is the biggest thing that could possibly happen. There's never been a WWE or for that matter, a WWF without Vince McMahon in control. Uh, he has been the creative head of the company since he bought it from his father. He has, he has led every practically every decision uh, and now not only obviously when he stepped away from the CEO and chairman position at the time in an interim uh, capacity, it, we weren't really sure what to make of it now that he is in his own words, retired, uh, which who knows exactly what that means. Cause he's still the company's largest shareholder, but he's also stepped down f- from leading the creative for the company, handing that over to his son-in-law, uh, It's a really weird time to be a wrestling fan, because it's been. If you talk to honestly, if you talk to any professional wrestling fan above the age of say fifteen, they will tell you that it's been a long time since uh, Vince McMahon has felt like he was in touch with what popular culture is looking for. Now they have someone in there who is not a young person by any means, but a lot younger with a fresh idea of what WWE programming could be.
1: Well, what does that mean? Like, tell tell us sort of what how that out-of-touchness or not exactly in-touchness has manifested itself.
3: Well, especially since the lead of AEW on the T-Nets, uh, it's, it, it's been a weirdly refreshing change because, like, hardcore wrestling fans, not the people who, like, not the people who, the parents who take their kids to the show and they buy all the merch and they cheer on the good guys and boo the bad guys, but the 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 audience that loves the wrestling, the people who grew up watching it in the nineties who want to see two guys or two women for that matter just beat the snot out of each other in a very predetermined manner, we'll say. That like they have <laughs> been they have been a big fan of what all elite wrestling AEW has been putting out because AEW is not only signing all of the guys who have left WWE sort of disenchanted with what that product became. But they're also signing up-and-comers off the independents and building them up into like big TV-friendly stars. Meanwhile, WWE in the past couple years has really... It's felt like they've sort of closed the gates on bringing in wrestlers from outside the company. Uh, For a long time, they used their developmental program, NXT, which is also on USA Now alongside WWE Raw, as the way to bring in up and coming wrestlers and build them up within the company before sending them to raw or smackdown however late last year all of that changed and NXT rebranded itself as essentially just a junior version of raw or smackdown filled with people whose backgrounds weren't wrestling but they were more athletes the WWE could turn into professional wrestlers it's a it's it's a it's a very weird industry uh and oddly enough the person who was in charge of the developmental program before this big change is the person who is now in control of creative so lots of wrestling journalists, pundits and lots of wrestlers are wondering if this means we're going to be able to go back to uh looking at wwe's product as an athletic as an athletic Uh, form of television, as opposed to a more of a over the top, dramatic and oftentimes silly form of television,
0: which goes right into my next question. You know, a lot of times we always break things down about what this means for the casual viewer. So for those of, you know, for, for the wrestling fans who are watching on various TV platforms and cable networks, what does this mean for those people, for those and for that programming?
3: In the very short term, I'm guessing not much. Uh they have SummerSlam this Sun this Saturday, uh, which is being held in a state a sold-out stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, like a football stadium. Um, and after that they have the first, I believe it's the first like major event uh in Europe in over a decade. Uh Clash at the Castle, which is next month. Uh and Regardless of what they're saying, I would be I would be shocked if the cards for both of those shows and the stories going to them were set by Vince a long time ago. There may be changes, uh, but I think going forward, I would like to believe we would see a more mature program. Uh, oddly enough, Vince is leaving Time's Up with USA or someone on that level deciding to shift WWE's programming from TVPG to TV14. Uh, I believe last week was the first time in over 10 years that Monday Night Raw was a TV-14 program, and you didn't really see much of a change content-wise, but when you look at... If if anyone who has been following the the uh, product goes back into their archives and see the stuff that like the NXT program was providing only on the WWE Network, which is now a part of Peacock, it was... A lot more mature and a lot more reality based than the stuff you get on raw, which is lots of people like chasing each other around and like winning titles from each other by pinning each other backstage and stuff like that. Like goofy stuff that is fun to a certain set. But after a while, you're just like, I just, I came to watch
1: competitive matches. Okay, so what is mature? what does what does mature mean? How in this world would maturity yes. manifest itself? I think is what I want to know.
3: I mean like from a, from a storytelling standpoint, it would be it, it's oddly enough, a lot of what uh, the Aew company is doing with their dynamite and rampage programs where a lot of the stories are more based in they're, they're just they're more based in competition. Obviously, we all know wrestling is not real it sure it's very physical it's very athletic but like you know going out who the winner is going to be but they treat it as if it is a legitimate sport oftentimes in AEW which is a much more mature type of program and it it's it's something that a lot of wrestling fans are craving after so many years of WWE targeting a much younger audience that much younger audience is now adults and John Cena, who was the face of the company for so long, isn't there for them to cheer along to because, you know, he's off making Peacemaker in big movies. So they, right now, the biggest star the company has is a man named Roman Reigns. And the biggest star, I I think this is maybe the first time I can remember in a very long time that the biggest star the company has is an, is a villain. Like, there is no huge good guy face of the company. And I that, that has to be tied to the fact that they're, that that's just not what the audience wants at this point. We don't want the smiley. Good guy. He's just going to tell us everything is great if we never give up and we keep on trying.
1: What do you want? What do I
3: want? Yeah. I just, I just want to watch the shows. <laughs> like, like that's the thing about the, the thing I will say about people who like wrestling is we just like the wrestling. We don't wrestling fans. Don't want to be condescended to, they don't want to watch things that insult their intelligence. And f- like there is a lot of that oftentimes in wwe we've all lived through the area of like women wrestling in gravy bowl matches and people like fighting over the honor of their dead dog and like like there's been a lot of very stupid things uh that happen in professional wrestling and it just feels like it's time to evolve the product and hopefully with uh with uh, Paul Levesque, who is known to wrestling fans as Triple H, who is now the head of WWE Creative, he is going to be the one giving the final say on what goes on air. And based on everything he was able to build when he built up the NXT brand from literally nothing to it getting a two-hour slot once a week on the USA Network, is he he was able to make wrestling feel like it was a competitive sport with compelling characters that appeal not just to younger audiences, but like even even fans who love the Attitude Era in the 90s and have since fallen far away from professional wrestling, the, they were able to get drawn back into it. And then the new competition came along and sort of stole their thunder. And WWE just st- went full stop. They moved NXT off of the same night as the AEW program and rebranded it as this big, colorful, all-ages affair. And it's just it it doesn't have that same magic for fans that it once did. So hopefully, we can start to get back to something close to that, or sell the company. Just sell the company.
0: That's actually my last question for you, Chris. Is you know yes. considering this this change in leadership, do you think that they're going to sell?
3: Uh, I've I we we this is something we actually talk we talk about on WrestleBuddies a lot because yes. Uh, during the pandemic, WWE let go of well over 100 wrestlers, citing financial reasons, and then did two of its absolute highest profiting years ever. Uh, and that was without having you know shows shows around the country, without going on tour and selling as much merch as they do at their live shows. So it's not as if WWE is hurting for money. And the thing that the only thing that really makes sense is they were. It all happened when Nick Khan came in as president and just started. It started, it felt like it was changing the corporate culture of the company and what it was. It wasn't just this old timey wrestling federation anymore where there's just one guy at the top making all the decisions and, you know, he's 75 now and doesn't really know what's going on in the world. Um, It feels like they, it's felt like for at least a year that they've been aiming toward a sale. Uh, Nikon has said that, you know, we're always open for business. We're open to talking about it, but has never actually gone and said that. We're talking to people Um, I and for my money, I think the most logical choice would probably be Comcast because it's NBCU, which WWE's had a a partnership with for decades. Uh, It's Peacock now has the rights to all of WWE streaming content like it's they've been working so closely together and only getting closer over the years that like it just feels like this is where it's heading. But so far, nothing official, but we're hoping.
1: I, w- I want to go back just quickly as we wrap up to the Vince McMahon of it all and how mm-hmm. this was presented, his, his exit, because <sighs> he obviously didn't say, oh, I'm leaving in a cloud of general disgrace and this is a horrible thing and I want to remove my stench from this company. And yet a lot of people certainly read it that way. How much, of, how much stench really is there and how long is it going to linger, would you guess?
3: I think it weirdly enough, I think at this point, anybody who's been watching WWE programming for any amount of time knows that, like, it's probably not a good culture. And like, there has been stories about Vince McMahon over the years that just, you know, it's just it's it's all hearsay Um, when the Wall Street Journal dropped its first report. Vince went on TV that day to talk about how much he loves the WWE universe. And it's then now and forever. And we're all together in this. And then he showed up the next week on raw just to talk about how much he loves John Cena as if he was just pretending it didn't happen. And then suddenly he's out. Um, And then as soon as he's out, his daughter, Stephanie, the new co CEO goes on TV to talk about how great Vince McMahon is. And we all need to thank him for everything. I feel like we're not, Obviously, business wise, there is a real impact here. Things are changing at WWE public perception-wise, until whatever they're investigating is found out and it's out there and we know what's going on. I don't know how much the wrestling fan world is going to react to things because people still love Vince. The wrestlers, even the wrestlers, they as soon when he announced his retirement, they went on social media to talk about how much they loved working for Vince. Uh, but now WWE is you know, it's revising its financials going back several years to account for the money. We still don't know how much money it totals up to or what all that went on. There's the other thing where Vince isn't the only one that's seemingly out of the company. His former right-hand man, John Laurinaitis, who is also a part of the investigations, Triple H has also been given his job. So, so he's taken on two people's jobs who are just seeming to go away. Uh, so right now, it's hard to tell once we know the scope of how big this actually goes, it's going to have to mean something. It's people can't wrestling fans are weird because they can look past a lot of things, but there are some places they, there are some things that just can't be looked beyond. And this, this seems to be one of them, especially like just where the world is now.
1: Tell the kids where they can hear you and wrestle buddies, Chris.
3: Ah, uh, Wrestle Buddies is out every single Thursday. Unlike unlike me being serious here, it is only about the goofiest stuff in uh, pro wrestling, and that is just on every podcast platform that I know of.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. This was this was great. Thank you. Up next, it's time for our showrunner spotlight segment.
1: Number four. Our guest this week is Andy Sierra, the creator and showrunner of Peacock's new mystery comedy, The Resort, executive produced by former TV's Top 5 guest Sam Esmail. Sierra was nominated for a WGA Award for the Hulu feature Palm Springs, and his TV credits include Lodge 49 and Angeline. Welcome
2: to the podcast, Andy. Yes, uh, thank you for having me on this. This is very cool.
1: So I, I want to start. The plot of The Resort is either deceptively simple or wildly 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 complicated Uh, i'm curious when you began pitching it to people which version did you sell people on and how have you subsequently decided how complicated a version of the elevator pitch anybody deserves or gets
2: um (laughs) that's i mean that's a very very good question uh like yeah to me it's it's strangely a a simple show, uh, but I I, I realize when I, when I mean I can I can do the little the little quick version is, uh, unhappily married couple goes down to a resort and finds an old phone that is tied that uh is tied to a, a missing person's case uh, from 15 years earlier and they they believe that it maybe if they solve uh, what happened to these missing kids they will solve what happened to their marriage and how they got to this point in their lives. Um, that's like the that's the the very very simple thing, but then there's still like the um i don't know the the I, how how i pitched it to peacock was uh and uh was like this uh and i just opened with um first i opened with this this quote from um uh this this, this scholar from from oxford who was talking about who was, who was talking about a uh, really pretentious stuff but but then he was, he was talking about uh uh the writings of uh of jorge Luis borges um and how it's uh we're all failed detectives who can't find the answer to the central mystery in our lives, except perhaps through some kind of mystical revelation or indeed through love. And that's, you know, he's talking about the writings of Borges, but I kind of use that as like a framework for the show. And then, um, and then how I just let it, uh, uh, talked about it with Peacock was that, uh, he's asked, what, what is home for you? Uh, like think about what is home for you. And for me, I know it's like, you know, being with my, uh, my two daughters and, and wife and sit in the backyard and, um, and like the past couple years have only like made that even more clear for me. Um, but I like get different points in my life. Uh, I feel like I, I would answer that question totally differently from when I'm 15 years old, 20 years old, uh, uh, 30 years old. And, um, and then I, I say, hey, well, like imagine if one part of that is taken away. Um, so, like, what length would you go to, to like get back that feeling, um, and that's pretty much that's the entire show. It's just that like every single character is um trying to get back that feeling of of home, of love and uh, and it's not until <laughs> and it takes them on this wild, insane journey, of course, but it's ah uh, but every character can kind of like you can look at them through that lens and um and it is a pursuit that ah uh, it's 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 a dangerous pursuit because it is all. Uh, trying to recapture something that is impossible to recapture. And so
1: um, what is the look that you see in a network executive's eye when you attempt to give them that quote?
2: I mean, you know, to Peacock's credit, there is like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I could, uh, like they, they, I, I wrote going into that, like that pitch. I, I had a, um, a big, like kind of Bible that I had written for the show. It was a, a full roadmap for it all. Um, and so they had already like kind of devoured that and they were already kind of hooked in off of that. But, um, but I think that like to, to them and for me, that's just kind of what grounds the whole thing emotionally, uh, which, which, uh, I don't know, <laughs> at least, at least, at least I feel like it allows it to go to the, the, uh, the kind of wild, uh, uh, I guess Lengths that it goes to, and, and the, the wild turns that it takes throughout, because it's still all just about the one thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe maybe it maybe it maybe it doesn't work. Who, who knows?
0: But you know, you're also coming to the resort right after doing palm springs which you know i don't know for for our listeners but for me that movie came out obviously during the height of the pandemic and lockdown and it feels like you're living the same day over and over again which obviously is what palm springs is but when you pitch this and when you were kind of thinking about about that about the show was how much of the resort was influenced by some of the things that you really didn't get to expand on in palm springs um
2: I'd say I mean there's definitely an aspect of it for sure. I, I eight years ago when I was when I was in, in grad school at uh, at AFI I, I wrote a some what was the seed of this basically it was a, a coming of age little indie comedy drama about uh, a kid who goes to a resort with his parents on vacation over the course of a week he develops this kind of like unlikely friendship with this older couple who's there on their ten year anniversary uh, and it's, it was like a, just it was fine uh it wasn't very good um but it was the <laughs> the core of it was like this couple who are trying to recapture a feeling from their past through this friendship with this kid and then uh it didn't work so I put it away but I would just the that core idea that core emotional idea um set at a resort was always something I like kind of like I couldn't quit so I said I go back to it and blow it up and uh try every possible like iteration of it and try to revive it. And it still was bad. And so i still put it away. Uh, and then eventually like eight years on or so, I realized I was not only like looking at like the relationships that had inspired that initial story, um, but also like who I was at the time, uh, like kind of this through this nostalgic lens in a way. And like I, I was, I was trying to recapture something that I, I couldn't recapture. And I was just, I was, I was like, Oh, I guess that's, that's exactly what, you know, uh, Emma and Noah, who were in that original thing, that's what they were doing. So I just like then blew it up and sp- split them up over time. But like also allowing for like the way my life changed over those eight years from like being a, a kid in grad school to then, um, and having a different, much different life before that to, uh, to getting married, having two kids to the world and the world, uh, changing drastically, Making Palm Springs changed my life drastically um, uh, all all of that uh uh really like filtered into um, this kind of uh, the evolution of the story so like uh, and it, you know it's it's a, a it's a bigger canvas than a, um, a a tiny little indie feature uh eighty four minute uh eighty four minute movie um, and so that's always uh I just felt like I was like playing in a bigger sandbox I guess.
0: You know, and obviously Chris and Malati is, is in both Palm Springs and the resort here. Was there any thought to making this kind of a shared universe with Palm Springs? And since we are of that, that climate where every, everyone wants franchises so quickly.
2: Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't, I don't know if you've seen the whole thing yet, but, um,
0: uh, I'm through five, five of the eight.
2: Okay. Uh, man, it's wait until like, you know, you get into eight, start seeing that I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I have like three stories to tell in my life uh that's not that's not not totally true well that's I guess it's kind of true uh so I guess <laughs> that's my way of answering the uh um shared universe questions where where it's uh it's not a shared universe but like there are things that I'm attracted to uh that I uh I mean I'm I just as, as a very simple simple example um I loved and for example for in, in in Fargo like season one and two, like where like season two is based entirely off of like one little like line you kinda hear in 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 season one and and knowing that these things are all all existing in the same world. Um obviously that's meant to be in the same world. Uh uh but I don't know. I also I also it's it's uh there there's the part of me that it uh likes to just I have a half hour after, after we put the kids to bed before I fall asleep on the couch. Uh, and I just want to enjoy a glass of wine or a bowl of ice cream. And before I fall asleep um, and what, like to turn my brain off a little bit while watching, but the younger version of me uh would love, like would love going down like the, the rabbit holes of symbolism or connection between movie in movie universes, like the Pixar universe stuff. Like, that's oh, just, it's, it's fun. Uh, that to me, that's just fun, like a <laughs> fun to play in, and so uh, d- does any of that exist within this show? Perhaps.
0: <laughs> well, I'm intrigued. <laughs>
1: After this in Palm Springs, I'm sort of curious, do you have an ingrained hatred and distrust of getaway vacations, or do you love getaway vacations so much that you try to base projects around potential vacations, like I've always assumed Adam Sandler kind of
2: does? Yeah, I think having Adam Sandler, you know, has has figured out the uh, the trick of life, I guess. Uh, yes, that's, uh, uh, I love vacations. Um I don't, and I think partially because I don't get to take very many. I have not been on that like enough in my life. Uh, and, but yeah, I mean, Palm Springs was, I, it was, it was too bad that we didn't really get to film much of it in, in Palm Springs. Uh, but the, like, the intention was always to film it in Palm Springs. Um, but yeah, I, I am attracted to, uh, to uh, kind of like very really like, like, Smaller time frames, like a, a story that takes place over like a, sm- a, a shorter time frame, um, and uh, in a, it a, with a, back, a kind of a beautiful backdrop, a vacation backdrop. And I think part of it, as we very much so dive into in the show, like especially like in you know episode four, where like, uh, uh, like va- vacations are these these kind of memory havens. <laughs> like the like I, I look back on on my life, and I uh, uh, I forget. A lot. I, I can't. I, my memory is just is just leaking out of my my brain. And uh, but what I do remember are like our vacations. They're like it's it's con- it's these condensed uh, moments where you like I I, I remember so much um, of vacations. And so like I the idea of like I don't know setting setting a a story that would uh, normally like take like, an, an emotional arc that would maybe normally take like in real life, uh, a month to three months to a couple years, you can get a lot done in a, and it's really just condensed, uh, time frame. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've always been attracted to that from, from Jurassic Park to, to, uh, Titanic. Um, like, I don't know that it's, it's, it's also probably as easier for my brain to understand that too. Um, <laughs>
1: Now, it seems very important to note that this series was formally picked up by UCP in February of 2020, which seems like about a, a zillion years ago. And, and the world has changed a, a very tiny bit since then. Um, and and so this weird thing happened where subsequently the idea of doing a show that you could shoot in a single location with quarantine cast, et cetera, suddenly went from being an out of left field idea to being basically the way the industry was functioning. So Talk us through your mental space, both as the world changed rather dramatically in March of 2020, but also as shows like Nine Perfect Strangers, The New Fantasy Island, and and especially, and I'm sure you've been talking about this nonstop, The White Lotus started going into production and then premiered.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a uh, mo- most of like I guess the 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 that roadmap of the show and then the pilot and stuff that, that was all. In 2019, that it was written, and so that like when UCP came on board, and like we never thought of it as as anything to kind of shoot in isolation. And maybe you know it's if if we did, we, we could have could have got this out like two years ago, um, but uh, but we didn't. And you know, but um, I think I also know that like in that time, Palm Springs came out, and that definitely helped like in getting this made too, um, for sure uh but it didn't really factor into any of the production side of it all because like this is a uh, as you i mean it, it, you made it up to five and as you'll see like in seven and eight like this is uh the show that is called the resort and we after after episode four we move away from the resorts and uh and it was never just like and as you see seen in the first week it wasn't just like one resort we took over we uh took over two resorts, one of which we turned into a 2007 resort. The other, we, uh, or, uh one, yeah, we turned into 2007 resort and then turned into a, uh, a modern day, the modern day ruins of that same resort. Um, it was, a, and that's all for like five minutes of screen time too. Uh, and it's, it was a massive undertaking and then we destroy that, that one resort after, um, <laughs> at the end of episode four, uh, kind of minor, minor spoiler, but we all, I mean, if you, if you've watched it all, the, you know that the resort gets destroyed uh and uh and so like it it's like it on the surface it, it's deceivingly like oh we yeah they we went took over resort and uh and was we were able to shoot it all, but like we basically shot a a mid nineties univer, universal movie um at for the just for the first four episodes, and then it just becomes a whole other thing, which was uh, a big undertaking that was not very uh pandemic friendly and it was it was a very hard thing to shoot (laughs) it was it was maybe uh it was it was much larger than uh than a typical half hour show i'd say
1: but but more specifically when you saw the number of shows that were coming up that were picked up after this show was but that were covering ultimately thematically not all that similar terrain at all but certainly in terms of log line terrain, they're covering similar terrain. What, what went through your mind?
2: Um, I was like, Oh, that makes sense. I mean, uh, and I, I, I love white Lotus. I watch white Lotus. I think, uh, it's, there there was, there was never a worry in my mind, I guess, of like, Oh, this is going to, I mean, once you hopefully, by the time you make it through the first episode, you realize, Oh, this, this is nothing like white Lotus. Uh, Um, and it's, it's, yeah, very different thematically, but it makes sense to like, uh, especially in a, in 2020 when we're all trapped, like, um, we want to, we want to find a, we want to escape, uh, on into a beautiful, uh, tropical setting, uh, on a weekly basis. And I, and I think that all the, all the other shows, um, I haven't seen, uh, haven't seen uh nine perfect Strangers or Acapulco, but I like uh, one of our writers was on Acapulco and like, I it, that sounds like a, a delight. Um, and, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess I, I, I was confident enough in that, um, <laughs> our thing was different. Uh, but I, I understood that this would probably, and it's probably going to continue to happen in the coming, uh, years. There'll be more and more, um, of those types of shows. <laughs> but, but I also felt like, you know, our Palm Springs came out, um, uh, we're, we're, right, right before we started shooting Palm Springs, that's when, uh, when we were in prep for Palm Springs, sorry. That's when we were, uh, that's when Russian doll came out. I was like, Oh, <laughs> and there's a, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of doing a time loop thing again. And we're doing a time loop thing, but you know, it's, it's kind of an evergreen, uh, concept.
0: You know, at, and at the same time, you know, you're working with Sam Ismail here, who's uh, obviously been on the podcast before, created Mr. Robot and among others. But what did you guys talk about when it came to exploring worlds of like time loops and and, you know, and the dual storylines? Because you're looking at, at at a creator who did something similar with Mr. Robot. So can you talk a little bit about what, you know, you and Sam together brought to this? Yeah, I mean, and what I, his influence he, was.
2: Yeah, when he because uh, the whole like the the hour long version of this pilot was written, um, and was already written, and kind of like the the bigger idea when I when Sam and his company came on board, um, and I guess like one of the most like he is he is so supportive of like uh of you know the creator of the show and not like and it's basically like when when it, when I need to lean on somebody or like when I'm trapped uh, and I and I. Uh, that's when I can like give him a, give him a call. And he like, basically it's like kind of sets me on the right path. And then it it was one of the most helpful things was that once he had a, you know, went through some drafts with, with uh, his, his team. And then once he, like we saw like the hour long version of this whole thing uh, of that script. um, One of the the best suggestions was uh, like, have you ever thought about this as a half hour? and, and, I add in in those in all those various iterations, because like again, I fall asleep very easily. I get bored so easily um in the shows. Uh but I also like I wasn't coming in like all my favorite shows are all half hour shows, even to this to this day. Like uh uh but they're all I feel like they're all made by people who have like the credit to say, I'm gonna make a half hour uh left of center drama comedy thing. And I didn't have anything like that, but once you know Sam kind of gives a thumbs up because, you know, this was right after Homecoming, which was, you know, this incredible 20, 25 minute episode thriller series. Uh, that would, that that's where I think like he was so helpful in that, um, kind of giving, giving me permission to follow the, like those, those instincts, I guess. And then when it came to like the multiple timeline stuff and just like, you know, how to, how to pace out, um. I'm trying to always be aware of like uh, uh, what the audience knows versus, versus what um, uh, I don't want the audience to be able to uh, (laughs) predict what's going to happen or or when I, once they anticipate like something is going to happen a certain way and then it happens that way. And then obviously the audience is bored. And so that, that was a, such a tough balance of like keeping the audience just behind, but also feeling like they're in good enough hands. And I think that's where, Sam and his whole team, um, Chad and Sarah, like they're, they're all, they're all kind of so well-versed in that world. Um, and that, that continued on through the edit too, of like, just how to kind of make these interconnected stories. Like when is the right moment to jump back and forth? And from the get go, that was, I always knew that was going to be the hardest part. And that was the hardest part. Um,
1: was there sort of a, a note or an, a eureka moment that explained how you wanted to do that? How how to mesh the two storylines together?
2: Um, not necessarily. No, uh, I, I'd say that like because uh, in in the in the original script, um, there is a moment. Uh, this, is, this is I guess part of like the concept when I was kind of coming up with the whole idea. When it, when it finally like when I finally cracked the way to approach it uh, or the way to do this. Uh, it was when Emma's, when Kristen's character, Emma, she's on the, she found the phone and she's on the computer in the bed and like doing her like deep research spiral. And it's like, you see, there's like two missing kids and, and, uh, and a dead body and this abandoned resort. And I think like we are so, is it, we audiences are smart and we're trained to like, We've seen many multiple timeline stories, and we're getting just a little, t- a little, little bits in the past, and we're just uh, we we are waiting for that 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 story of blood, death, and murder. Um, and I I wrote it into the script there at that moment as we like kind of pan away and this loving spoonful song uh, comes in, um, and I said like this is not a story about. Lo- blood death and murder this is a love story and i think at that point i was i i i wanted to make the clear i made the clear decision to like i i want to show more of the past than we're supposed to show <laughs> um and because this is like you know the spoiler to the, spoiler alert to you know uh uh that the kind of this kind of tip some of the what what is to come in the, the next in the back half of the show, but it's not a, it's not a show about blood, death and murder. It's I, I very intentionally did not want to make it a show about that. Um, cause I'm, I, I felt like I was getting a little tired of that. Uh, I was, uh, tired of those types of stories. And so, um, but I also knew that there are ways to, uh, like, I, I, I know that that's, that's how you say in the, say in the log line, it's a story disguised as like a mystery thriller thing. So it's like, it's still part of the disguise of it all. But like, um, but yeah I think so 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 therefore to to your question uh is was was there a specific note uh around that not not necessarily just because like um I was so opposed to uh or, or i guess I, I always wanted to just really show more than than was necessary so i guess i guess yeah I, I, there's not really a Uh, one specific note there. I apologize. That was a that was just a rambling roundabout way to say, not really.
1: (laughs) In your, in your mind is this kind of a, I don't know. I don't know the right way to put it. And it's going to come out sounding like an insult, which I don't mean it to, but like a Trojan horse or like a bait and switch, because to me, the first three episodes very much are not what the show becomes at episode four. And so you're kind of luring an audience in, you're baiting an audience. How did you approach what you were doing to the audience in those first three versus what happens to the audience in the fourth (laughs) episode? Well,
2: it's, (laughs) that's tough. Um, it's, it's tough because it was, it was always like, it's always baked into the show, uh, and that the original like concept of the show and, and also that line was, that was in the, uh, in that, that, pilot of this is not a story about blood death and murder it's a love story and i like i always said episode four it's like making a left turn and i want to answer 95 percent of the questions um that like that get people in the door and i didn't i don't i didn't want it to be like a uh a dickish move and i hope hopefully it doesn't come across that but maybe maybe it does but like it's uh but i i mean we i'm a very again spoiler uh alert a little bit um but like i i think i I think audiences are very smart again i i i came of age uh when sopranos first came out and like i and i would read matt solar sites uh mad men recaps every week and uh and i feel like we are i think we we are trained to see so much um or we, we are trained to like uh, know what to expect with a show like this. And I think we've seen it enough. Um, and I think we spent, we spend intentionally spend the first three episodes saying like this Balthazar guy, uh, this family, this freest family that he comes from the other employees at this, uh, at this resort. Like uh, we lean into the idea that like, yeah, that's, that's who the bad guys are. Like, of course, because that makes sense because that's uh, what we would think. Um, and, Emma and Noah would think that and but there's really little basis in fact there Uh, and I think some of that comes from my own like this the concept that this was kind of also like taking shape uh, in the height of I mean true crime uh, podcasts are still very very huge but this was like a a few years ago when uh, this kind of like true crime industrial complex and I think I think only murder only murder in the building like handles that so well so like we don't really need to touch on that but it's still like part of the inspiration was that like yeah this that's it's uh it's trauma tragedy as as entertainment um and usually it's like uh, we we you can you can spend four episodes going down a a rabbit hole when someone might seem guilty but if you just look at the facts there's nothing really there and that's like nothing really in those first three episodes uh, we, we don't we never say that the, the, the freest family is a crime family, for example. Um, we never actually specifically say anything uh, that is like to suggest that uh, they actually are or Balthazar is capable of anything bad. Um, but I think throughout those first episodes where that's what we're meant to believe. Um, and then one of the most important scenes in the show, which I think, again, was always part of like baked into it was, uh, this, this dancing that comes in, in episode three, which is like, okay, well, like we just saw him give a grieving father and, and husband, uh, a bottle of mezcal on the house. And then he goes and dances and if, and with like all the other uh, people that we thought were the bad guys here. And if, they, if those are, if those are the bad guys, then maybe the bad guys are better. Um, uh, but then obviously it takes a turn and hopefully uh, I, I guess it's, it's it's a way that I when I as an audience member I like to feel we're like oh I was totally wrong about everything and now I'm just going to see where I have to see where this is going now and so uh, hopefully by the, by the end of three it's like oh I was totally wrong now what and so four was always going to be this thing where we we <laughs> show you uh, where. And Emma and Noah where they were wrong for the entire first half. And, but also like in the, in the writing of it. And I and it was, it was a, and then in the introduction of that, of Ben Sinclair's character, like <laughs> it was always this discussion with me and um, some of the other writers. I was like, uh, this is where, this is where people are either going to be like double down or we're going to lose some people here. It's uh, it is such, it is, it's, it's not the, sh- not exactly the show that, uh, it seems like it's going to be, but, but, to me it's the show that is it, it, from the very opening uh, frames of the show, it was always inevitable to be this show um, and so i don't know that's a i guess I guess that's another long rambling way to, to say that there is a little bit of a a Trojan horse, but at the same time like um, i don't know i'm, I'm I, uh, not 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 meant to trick people I guess um,
1: so it's a Trojan horse that that has that has a label on the side that says this horse contains soldiers.
2: Yes, exactly. Like, like again, it's, you, it, I, I feel like uh, in the in the in, in the logline. It, 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 like I said, it does say like disguised as a, as a fast-paced mystery and a uh, um,
0: yeah. And you know, you're you're premiering now with the first three episodes. You know, and obviously with four being such an important episode, was there any thought or conversation to having this show be an all at once binge or at least having four premiere with that first group?
2: Um, no, I, I don't. I'm if there were those conversations, it was not part of those conversations. Uh, uh, I would. I, part of me thinks that, like, you know. I, there's, there's a world there's a way that you can look at the whole sh- series is like a trilogy in a way. And where one through four are like part one. Five and six are part two. Seven and eight are part three, and each are like helmed by different directors too. So like Ben Sinclair's, like it is. It is a very like com, kind of me to me like a complete like here is part one of the part one of the show is this. And I I, I remember I floated a couple times like to maybe release it like that, but um but I actually really like this kind of release strategy that they're doing because um I think I think that week in between episodes uh is going to be very helpful to, uh, I guess, as, as an audience member, to, like, reorient the expectations uh, in a way, where they, like, like we can kind of think about at the end of episode three and everything I said about that, that dance scene and stuff, like, oh, maybe maybe I was wrong about this all, all this stuff. And then you get to episode four, uh, which is, like, I my my favorite episode of the show uh, cuz I think it said it says everything that the show is about basically uh but through a different a different like uh lens in a way um but I think like after that episode I think there needs to be I think the the that week kind of come down from it like oh okay well this just is this is much different than I thought but I think those those in between weeks will hopefully help like um i don't know prepare the audience for like our the final act um in a way (laughs)
0: So you're using terms like three parts and then final act. You know, is this truly a closed-ended series or is this something that you hope can return for a second season? Would it be more of an anthology, a different resort kind of like what Lo- White Lotus is doing? But like can you talk a little bit about how the season ends and what viewers should expect, you know, if you know because it does take such a big detour after episode 3?
2: Yeah, I uh I mean I I had initially uh <laughs> back uh, when i first was pitching it like as you know we can we can I, ha- I have about five other like resort stories uh different resort stories but then uh but then i think i think it sounds like white lotus is doing that as well and so um there is a uh there is a way uh, I, I i have a i have a way forward on this um should should peacock want to want to give me the thumbs up to do that um that i'm i'm very, um, definitely like excited by that prospect but at the same time like to me this was always this story is always a complete story and i and i i feel like i um i've been told in the past few weeks maybe i didn't answer every question but i, I was like i'm pretty sure we answer every single question that is asked and then there's a little bit of like in, in the in the last scene uh, a little nugget of of what could come um what could come next but like uh the story of uh, the story that we set out to tell in the beginning of this season, with Emma and Noah and, and Sam and Violet and and uh, Murray, that's Offerman's character, and Balthazar and Luna and, ben, and uh, Alex, Ben's, Ben's Claire's character, um, it's it's complete. Like uh, I, I, at least in my mind, it's that everything's everything's definitely told. Out, out of order and might uh intentionally it might be confusing but uh but all the an- all the questions are are answered by the end so like if this is it then uh no nah, i i don't i don't feel like i i left anything uh on the table
1: so the Initial logline for The Resort called it a, a metaphysical detective story. What did, having worked on Lodge 49, a show that I truly loved before this show, what did it teach you about how to balance the metaphysical and the detective for mainstream television? And how much uh, how much metaphysical a mainstream television audience is actually willing to embrace slash deal with?
2: Yeah, I mean... Uh... I, I, I wish they were more willing. Um, I, I love lodge 49 and I owe so much of, uh, of my, like, I guess like writing career to that. I, I, I was on it for almost four years. Um, cause there was other like earlier writers rooms and I, I like started, I started an intern at AMC when that was in development. And then I, um, and then Jim brought me on, uh, first as a writers PA and then I was a then as a showrunner assistant with when Peter Occo came on board and then then they bumped me up to uh to write on the second season and I learned uh uh it's kind of like the it w- where I went to you know spent a couple years of grad school uh that was like another like uh, even more like more intense grad school and learning experience from and from everything from showrunning uh from like Working with Peter to um, to just like, and it's one of the things that like Jim and Peter would always say is like kind of finding like magic in the mundane, Um, and like I think where that show, if you wanted to, if you want to break down like every little every book or (laughs) painting or anything you see in the background and like all the it, it was one of the things like if you want to lean in, you can like lean in. Uh, to the metaphysical side of things and like it's all there and like for those for the deep dives uh which i like i i love to do on like it's uh but also it's a show that you can just like again like sit back and watch with your with a a friend or loved one and just kind of enjoy and kind of like give yourself to the to the ride and that was all and i I guess like learning that i I saw how they balanced that and this one definitely had like leans more into like that that you know there's a there's a there is a very clear mystery thread that can pull us through in this one. So that, that, uh, that helps in, in just keeping the, the momentum and pace up and whatnot. But, um, but I, 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 <laughs> I learned that audiences are like cool with, um, big long monologues <laughs> and there are a lot of big long monologues in, in, in lodge 49. And, uh, and, a, and, another thing that, that I remember like, Peter had said one of the, like, it was a great piece of advice. And after he told me this, I went and wrote the wedding speech in, in Palm Springs. He said that like, give your characters like a speech in the first episode. <laughs> um, and like, cause you can get it as like, as, and where you kind of get to the emotional side of things. Uh, cause like a show can be as, as, as out there as, as you want it and at uh, 49 is out there, but then like, it's just grounded with this, with Dud's speech at the end of that first episode. And, um, and it was, it was such a great lesson that like, as long as you have, like, if you can hit those emotional marks in there, you can like, you you can, you can tow that line between, like between silly and sincere, and then just go for like fun, a fun wild ride. As long as there's like this emotional kind of backbone that you're building off of. Um, yeah, I can, I can, you should, you should have, you should have Jim and Peter on at some point. Uh, cause I would, I would love Lodge to like, just have a, get, get Lodge a third season.
0: It's it's not for lack of trying on our show. Uh, for, oh, I know, know, I know. So. I
2: remember, I remember, I remember the push and, uh, you know, maybe maybe, uh, maybe Peacock will uh, give give it a give it another life.
0: And
1: and I feel as if it is a show that audiences have been finding subsequently, which obviously doesn't do it any good in terms of AMC bringing it back for a third season. But it is a show that I feel like has had a a long tail audience wise. Is there anything? You know, as you're thinking about how to get people into the resort and how to get people into the resort now rather than five years ago, I mean, five years from now, rather, is there anything you can do to kind of encourage them? OK, you want to be on this now because otherwise you're going to discover this in 10 years and then you're going to be pissed off that we didn't get a season two or we didn't get a season three, et cetera.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what I I don't know what I could possibly say that uh, from learning from the lodge experience other than just I guess, trust us. That's not, that's definitely not a clear answer. So if you, if if either of you know how to uh, get people to subscribe to Peacock, to, to watch this, um,
1: (laughs) If if
3: we knew how
2: to get people
0: to subscribe to Peacock, I assure you Peacock would be hiring us to get people to subscribe to Peacock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, More people would know about TV's top five than if that were the case. (laughs) Yeah. I
2: mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a, it's a tough thing. Like I, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, so much, as you know, there's so much TV out there, and to like uh, break through the noise, it's uh, it is it is really hard, uh, and I, I I wish I knew the trick. Um, we have we have some cool billboards, so if there's some maybe that's maybe that's the trick, or just just bombarding people with with, uh, uh, with images and reminders of the show that it exists.
0: Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the cast for a second. Obviously, you've got a couple of, of alums from a lot of Mike Shear stuff between this and Andy Samberg, obviously, in Palm Springs. Um, Nick Offerman is in this and obviously William Jackson Harper. Is there is that just a coincidence or is this, you know, are those the Mike Shear shows something that you personally really, really love and you wanted to work with these people because of it?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's uh, he. he. <laughs> he gets the best of them. So uh, I, I love, I love his shows and his taste. And, uh, but also I think tonally, this is like, is a very, uh, like I, I, I mentioned a little earlier, like it's a very tough line to walk with, like to go from silly to sincere or like, like uh, <laughs> the, the, the script supervisor. Um, she told me when they, well, like earlier on in the shoot, she's like, this is really goofy. Like I didn't realize how goofy this was. I'm like, yeah, it's it's not that goofy though. Come on. Uh, but it's, we go from like these slapstick moments to some like, you know, at least hopefully, hopefully some like gut punches. And that is like, it is such a hard thing to pull off on a, on an acting level. And that's where I, I mean, I think you can, I think it's, I guess that's kind of the coincidence, I guess, but make sure that make sure make sure sees that these are characters, these are actors who can, who can do both. You can make you like when, when, when I can start a scene laughing at someone's performance and then by the end, want to like grab a tissue box. Um, that's pretty, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal thing to watch as just as simply as an audience member. And that's what I always, I always am attracted to. And every single actor in this, has that uh that very unique talent. And so so that they can all go from, you know, that sometimes it might seem silly comedy to then some very sincere uh emotional stuff. And uh it's um that seems to be the hardest the hardest thing to do. And so that's where that was the appeal to um for, for me for all, all all these actors. And it was a lot of it was like when when Ben Sinclair came on, um that's when we started the casting process and he like same thing. Watch watch it in high maintenance. Like I've been a big fan of that for so long, and he uh, he can make me laugh and cry within the same like five minute little short. Um, and so so many of the, so much of the casting was just like, hey, what about this person because they are so good at doing that thing. Um,
0: yeah. Well, we do like to end these interviews with the same question. What have you been watching and enjoying outside of Cuts of the Resort?
2: Yeah, I've uh, watched. A lot this is a very, very hard show to make. So I haven't watched as much as I, uh, I wish I could have in the past year, but now that I'm finally getting back into now that I can finally like watch shows again. Um, the bear is one of the most incredible things I've seen, uh, as I think everyone is now now knows, um, that it's, uh, yeah, it's just so, so exciting to watch, uh, what we do in the shadows. Obviously it's just, it's, uh, such a pleasure to watch. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I look for, I look for like again that half hour. What what can keep me awake at night? <laughs> uh, and the those like delightful shows like that. Um, it's one of them. Uh, I think that's, uh, but that's kind of all I've had time to. So you you tell me what a, what a, what should I be watching right now? Knowing knowing my taste and knowing my uh, knowing that I fall asleep very easily. <laughs>
0: Well, I think the bear was is my first recommendation this summer, and we just yeah. had the showrunner on not too long ago too.
2: Yeah, I think that actually, like, a, and this is one of the things I, I really hope for, and it's, it's such a tall order to ask for this for our show, but like, I know that it's it's this was designed to be a show that that kind of rewards the repeat viewing viewing experience. Um, like like we talked about in the beginning Palm Springs, like uh, it's it's there there are things layered throughout, and but I I say that, and I would I would hope people would do rewatch when I have not rewatched. Uh, a show since like since Sopranos, which I've done, I, I, I can rewatch that all the time. Um, but uh, I have not done that. But I think the bear might be the first time I will, uh, I will rewatch a show in, in several years, because I'm, I think I'm ready to like, now seeing it um, as the whole, and I, all I want to do is now go back to the beginning and see, and I, now I can see it through a different lens. And that's, that is one of the most exciting things, uh, as uh, just a fan of television to like, I, I I I love rewatching movies, but I just don't do it as much for TV. But now I feel like this is the, the bear got me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, we thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week, Andy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: The first three episodes of The Resort are now streaming on Peacock. New episodes will premiere on Thursdays.
3: Number five.
0: As usual, we wrap things up with the Critics Corner. Among this week's major new launches, well, you just heard our interview with the resort showrunner about his Peacock series. Harley Quinn returns to HBO Max, which also launches Pretty Little Liars' Original Sin. Apple debuts Surface. Amazon has Paper Girls. And Netflix launches Uncoupled. Dan, what you got?
1: Lots and lots of TV. And some of it I haven't watched. I mean... In the case of things I haven't watched, I haven't watched Pretty Little Liars Original Sin because I don't care. I haven't watched Uncoupled because, yeah, whatever. Um,
0: I read that review.
1: And I can't talk about Paper Girls because of Amazon and Amazon loving silly embargoes that hurt their shows. Well done, as always, Amazon. You definitely don't want someone who loved Halt and Catch Fire to be able to talk about your new show it's executive produced by the creators of Halt and Catch Fire. So um, I touched on Harley Quinn last week. Um, No full review or anything, but I've watched the first seven episodes of the new season, and it's a blast. That's a show that I just really enjoy watching. I also enjoy watching it because I mostly don't take notes, and so I just sit back and I laugh at how funny Bane is. I enjoy the crazy, bloody action sequences, etc. So I am just a fan of Harley Quinn, and Happy to have it back. It's been way, way, way too long. So, where do we want to start? Let's start with things that have already premiered, including Keep Breathing on Netflix, a show that kind of amuses me because it's an awful lot like Yellowjackets. Only there's only one person who gets stranded in a plane crash in the uh in the Canadian wilderness or whatever, which means that there's much less cannibalism, though you know, there are some people who are with her who don't survive. I don't know why she doesn't eat them. In fact, seriously, major plot hole for that whole series. Uh, anyway, it is mostly more than anything else, a vehicle for Melissa Barrera, who some people hopefully should know from Vita. And if you haven't watched Vita, Vita remains a terrific show, and she is wonderful on it. Lots of people are very positive about her because they liked her in the last Scream movie, which I guess was Scream Five, but was just called Scream. I don't know. Anyway, she was also great in In the Heights, and she, and she's very good here. It's sort of it to me, it feels kind of like an exercise for her because it's her without a lot of the things that uh, that she's built her career on. You know, she's she's built her career on a certain amount of sexiness and uh, a certain amount of on-screen charisma, and here the whole point is. She everything's rough and tumble, and she's very sad and very scared because she's in the Canadian wilderness and there are bears and she's hungry and stuff. It's only six episodes. None of them are over 40 minutes, so it is very quick. Several of them are only 30 minutes, and I I kind of appreciated that it it goes by very, very quickly. On the other hand, it's like Yellow Jackets, only without any of the crazy stuff, which is to say any of the fun stuff, which is to say probably a lot of people aren't going to be interested in it. I happen to really enjoy a good survivor survival story, and it's an okay survival story. It, it's It's very straightforward. It's very rudimentary. It, there's no point at which the stakes and the drama really escalate and i think a lot of people are going to watch it and they're going to be like ooh when are things going to escalate and i think that's probably my major takeaway is that people are going to have wished things escalated i think probably the same is true of surface on apple tv plus which is another kind of star vehicle in this case for gugu mbatha ra who is an actor who really and truly just needs to get better roles and it's not in any way her fault it's just hollywood not understanding what to do with her there was the horrifying waste of her talent that was her season on the morning show there was the entirely forgettable hbo max limited series four episode limited series about the house that people moved into and the creepy guy who designed it um, I don't even remember what it was called anymore, which lets you know how memorable it was. Basically, it was a 90-minute movie that was stretched out to, uh, two ou- to four hours, I guess that was. This one is an eight-episode limited series, and it's about a woman who is recovering from amnesia after what has been determined to be a suicide attempt but she isn't sure why she committed suicide. She has a relatively perfect life. She has a lovely house, a wealthy husband, etc. But then a detective shows up and tells her not to trust her husband and not to believe that the suicide attempt was a suicide attempt. And unfortunately, it's another show where you keep waiting for things to escalate beyond a very, very rudimentary run-of-the-mill series of events, and they really, really don't. So everything is very familiar, and Gugu Mbatha-Raw is very good. The rest of the supporting cast, they just don't have anything to play, and it's it's very frustrating how underused people like Stephen James, Ari Grainer, Oliver Jackson-Cohen, who plays her husband, he's horribly miscast. I, I don't understand what anyone was thinking there. He's He's not bad, it's just because of him, the part doesn't make as much sense as I think it might have otherwise there's really just no hook. There's nothing that I was curious about going forward. There's no mystery that I found compelling or exciting enough to justify having spent eight hours on it. And after eight hours, it very much is setting itself up for a second season. And I don't want it to get a second season because I would really like for Gugu and Bathara to do something different slash better. And so that surface. I don't really think it's going to excite or really entertain anyone all that much. Uh, so that probably leaves the two shows that I'm most curious or most curious to talk about. You just heard our interview with the creator and showrunner of The Resort. And you heard him talking a lot, and you heard us talking a lot, about the very dramatic shifts that take place in the series at episode four. And that makes it kind of funny to me that the show premiered with its first three episodes. And so the thing I have to say is... The show that I started really liking is the show that it becomes in episode four, not the show it is in the first three episodes, which very much feel designed as a way of luring viewers in because they're a more traditional mystery. They're focused much more particularly on the characters played by Kristen Milioti and uh, William Jackson Harper. And at around episode four, to me, it becomes very, very, very much in the sphere of lodge 49 which as anyone who has listened to this podcast knows is a show that i loved and so you have this odd situation where the people who really really were into the mystery involving william jefferson harper and krista miliotti are going to probably have their heads explode a little bit when they get to the fourth and fifth episodes they're going to start being like wait what on earth is this show now the trippy metaphysical version of the show that it becomes after that point is really, really interesting to me. And the fourth and fifth episodes in particular, I-, I thought were kind of delightful in a lot of the ways that I found Lodge 49 to be delightful, which are unfortunately ways that are really, really hard to describe to anybody. And so I'm going to be curious to see how people respond to it. I've already seen a number of reviews, not from our great colleague Angie Han, but from other people who... Kind of were reviewing the entire eight episode series as if the show it was supposed to be in the first three episodes was the show. And I don't think it is. And I don't think it's right to review it as that. I don't think it's helpful because I think the show that it becomes is a really, really interesting show. But either you're going to be ticked off that the show it is for the first three episodes didn't exist anymore, or else you're going to have watched the show that it is for the first three episodes and maybe that show didn't appeal to you at all. And so I can tell you it becomes very, very Lodge 49-y starting around episode four, but I don't exactly know who that's going to benefit. So I I think it's an interesting show, and I love Lodge 49. Everyone should watch Lodge 49. That's really my final takeaway from everything. And then uh, you didn't mention it when you were listing the things premiering, but really and truly the best thing coming out in the next week, and it isn't even close it's it's a there there's a gap of miles is the second season of reservation dogs on fx um i've seen the first four episodes and it is the best show on tv right now it is very possibly slash very likely going to end up being The best show of the year i i don't know for sure there's the second half of the season it could either kind of mellow out and then uh, you know maybe it's only a top 10 show for the year this to me is such a special show and anyone who has listened knows how ticked off i am at emmy voters for the complete shutout of reservation dogs when they gave nominations a couple weeks ago and just watching these four episodes i got Angrier and angrier and angrier. Um, uh, Debra Jacobs is a treasure. She should be nominated for lead actress in a comedy series without any question at all. Uh, Gary Farmer and Zon McLaren and Wes Studi should all have been nominated for supporting or guest, however, they were. Sterling Harjo, who wrote or co wrote all four of the episodes I saw, and directed the first two, should have been nominated for writing and directing on on several episodes. This, this, to me, is a special, utterly unique show. It is a show that, when it wants to be funny, is tremendously funny and goofy. It is a show with such lived-in poignance and with a language and location and characters that are like absolutely nothing on television. And that includes the recent wave of really, really good indigenous centric stories whether it's uh uh, dark skies on dark winds on amc or rutherford falls on peacock it it is there's nothing like reservation dogs on television it is it is such a special personal unique show and the first four episodes are of the quality of last season. And it was in my top five for last year. So, um, so yeah, what, what I would say is of the things I'm talking about this week, uh, you know, maybe you'll kind of be amused by the, the somewhat thin rudimentary pieces of genre story uh, telling in Netflix's Keep Breathing and Apple TV Plus's Surface. Maybe you won't, I don't care (laughs) if you like it, that's awesome. That's fine. That's great. Enjoy things. Um, the, with the resort, starting episode four, y'all, it becomes Lodge 49 e So if you like Lodge 49, and I do, definitely stick with it or or give it a look at episode four. It is not the show that it looks like it is at first. You just heard Andy talking about that in our interview segment. And really and truly, Reservation Dogs, truly special show. Season two premieres next week. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's magnificent stuff.
0: Well, for more of Dan's reviews, be sure to subscribe to THR's newsletter. Now see this. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. For more reviews, head to THR.com slash TV dash reviews. Thank you, as always, for listening to TV's top five, the Hollywood Reporters TV podcast.
1: Be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. Those suckers help spread the word of mouth. We're always happy to chat with you guys on Twitter. Come let us know what's working, what isn't working, what you'd like to see more of, etc. If you have questions, though, for future mailbag segments, you can email us at tvstop5 at thr.com. That's tvstop5, the numeral 5, at thr.com. Until next week, Leslie.
0: Until next week, Dan.